This is the Data Center Frontier Show, where we tell the story of the data center industry and its future. Our show is hosted by Rich Miller, the editor of Data Center Frontier. And now here's Rich with our show. Hello everyone, and I'd like to welcome you to the Data Center Frontier Show, where we tell the story of the data center industry. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. Today, we're gonna to have a conversation about data center cooling, a subject that's near and dear to the hearts of most of our audience. And to share his insights, we have Kevin Fascinelli, the president of Data Center Solutions at Nortech Air Solutions. So Kevin, welcome to the show. Well, thanks Rich. And I appreciate the opportunity to share with you as well as Data Center Frontier community, uh, some of the knowledge and experience I have in the industry. Um, I currently, as, as, as you stated, I'm president of the data center cooling business at Nortech. Um, that, that encompasses responsibilities for design, uh, manufacturing of systems and solutions that are deployed within smaller to mid to mid to even hyperscale data centers. So Kevin, data center cooling is one of the topics that's always near and dear to the hearts of our audience and uh, our our readers in the data center industry. One of the things I wanted to ask about today was the scale of data centers and data center campuses. Uh, we see, you know, your traditional enterprise data center might be a couple of megawatts, but now we're seeing facilities that are as, you know, uh, up to 80 or 100 megawatts or more. Uh, what are you seeing there and how does the, the growing scale of these data centers uh, impact the way that they think about cooling. Yeah, it, it's really interesting, Rich. You're absolutely correct. We're seeing definitely larger data centers out there in the industry today. Uh, 30 megawatt data center a couple of years ago was a pretty large data center. Uh, Switch has deployed a 130 megawatt data center in Reno on 2,000 acres of land with, uh, I think the finished build out is 7.2 million square feet of floor space. So pretty amazing to see, and that's the co-location. We're also seeing that in the hyperscale market uh, where uh, larger hyperscalers are pushing above 100 uh, megawatts all the way close to 200 megawatts in buildings. There's actually one of the leading um, social media companies right now that's building a 180 megawatt data center in Singapore all on 12 acres of land and it'll be a multi-story building it's a it's 11 stories um, very significant development um, but the other thing we're seeing is things are getting smaller at the same time so we're seeing the emergence of edge computing or edge data centers and micro data centers so as things are getting bigger they're also getting smaller at the same time depending upon you know what types of services you're presenting to um, your customers out there and what types of things you're delivering in terms of application and your ability to reduce latency and provide, uh, you know, uh, very strong services. So you mentioned Singapore. One of the other uh, sort of interesting trends in data center cooling is that geography really matters. Um, what are you seeing in terms of the way that data center providers uh, approach the way that they're they're using cooling technologies uh, in different parts of the world. Yeah, you know, data centers are going up in just about every different geographical location across the globe. So we're seeing 
quite a significant amount of data center activity in Asia, where it's a very hot and humid climate. Uh, in those situations, traditionally people have been utilizing direct expansion and liquid uh, chiller-based cooling tower uh, uh, refrigeration for, the, for cooling the data center itself. But we also have a technology that we've come out with that we're deploying in that same region that is an indirect evaporative technology. I think it'll be one of the first ever deployed in, in that area itself. So tell us a little bit more about that. What, uh, uh, how is Nortec approaching uh, that challenge? And, and uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we, we this past year came out with uh, a brand new technology, um, which we refer to as state point technology. At the core, it's a microporous membrane heat exchanger. And what we do is we, we have the ability to run this package unit in three different modes. So um, if the environment is cool, we can run in an economizer mode where we're taking air from the outside across a cooling coil and then that cooling that water and then moving that down into the data center and distributing that, uh, you know, using a fan wall or a CD or a, a um, craw or other type of distribution unit inside the data center. Um, the other mode is when it's a little bit warmer, we can go into an adiabatic mode. And this is where the, the actual membrane exchanger cools the air using a very low levels of water to precondition the air across that coil. Again, uh, generating cool water like a chiller would and uh, distributing that into the building. And the last mode is what's called a super evaporative mode. And in that mode, we're actually taking the, um, the heat or the, the heat coming back from the data center through, through the uh, cooling coil. And then we're also pushing through uh, evaporative, evapor evaporation in terms of air to cool that coil and water evaporation to cool the water stream itself and mixing that back together and moving that back into the building. Um, that's probably when we're talking about hot and humid climates, um, that, that's the mode that you're going to tend to see this uh, unit operate in a Singapore or Asia environment. Um, and uh, does that have application in, in other geographies as well, or is it primarily something that works well in the warm climates? Absolutely. It, it can work in just about any geography um, when we have uh, the ability to economize and bring in fresh air. Um, the nice thing about that in a northern climate, you can really reduce down consumption of water uh, as well as reach very, very low PUE levels. Uh, we have uh, designs that can get to a 1.1 or even maybe a little bit lower than that on a PUE. Um, when you have a four season environment where you may have a cooling season, a cool season and a hot season, because you can run it in different modes, you then go into an evaporation mode where during the summer, it'll turn, it'll automatically switch over to that evaporation cycle and produce uh, chilled water uh, during that condition as well. So the unit itself uh, has DVC controls in it, so it automatically will move between the different modes to optimize use of water as well as energy uh, when providing cooling to the data center. So one of the things you mentioned was uh, the use of multi-story data centers. 
this is a trend we're seeing in a number of markets where real estate um, either isn't available in uh, large footprints or where the specifics of uh, uh, data center geography for interconnection purposes are very important. So we tend to see people trying to make the most of the real estate and build three and four story buildings, as, as you mentioned, in some uh, you know, urban areas, you'll see much taller uh, buildings. Um, I, I gather this must have uh, implications for uh, how you design the infrastructure and the types of uh, decisions you make there. Um, tell me a little bit in your experience how multi-tenant data centers uh, yeah. you know, impact the, the, the cooling decisions. Yeah, I think the vast majority of large hypish scale data centers today are single story on a mass amount of land and they, they spread out across acres and acres of land. But you're right, what we're finding is the need to have data center technology in urban environments as well as uh, uh, land constrained areas. So when, when you move from a single story cooling technology to have to cool multi-story, you have to find a place to put your cooling uh, equipment itself. Uh, our, our product, State Point, is designed to go on a mezzanine on each one of the floors and then deliver that chilled water to a, to a fan coil wall unit inside uh, the data hall itself. So we actually can put on top of each layer or each floor a unit delivering cold water to that separate floor. And then that's exhaust up the chimney uh, through um, the, uh, the building itself. Um, the nice thing about uh, an indirect evaporative cooling system is the air is very buoyant. So, you know, a cooling tower, sometimes you'll have a plume that comes off a cooling tower and it just drops down and you're gonna pull it back into the building. What, um, what happens when you're using uh, an indirect evaporative cooling or state point technology is the ability for that to have very buoyant air and actually you know, move uh, upwards into the atmosphere away from the building and not having any recirculation of that air. So um, one of the trends that uh, we've been tracking for a lot of years at Data Center uh, Frontier and in uh, some of our earlier writing positions in the data center industry, I've been doing this for 20 years now. <laughs> but one of the things we've always looked at is density. Uh, it's always a, a, a topic of discussion uh, that ultimately liquid cooling would be coming in uh, and would, would see greater adoption. I think the first presentation I saw about uh, the imminent arrival of liquid cooling was at a 7 by 24 event in 2002, uh, where the vendors were uh, all saying that this level of density was inevitable. But in, in recent years, we have seen, uh, uh, you know, server densities, uh, cabinet densities trending upward and uh, partly because of some of the hardware that's come into the market for artificial intelligence. So I was, uh, I'm curious about your take about what you're seeing uh, in terms of data center density, uh, how, what those trends look like, and how that might impact uh, the way that people approach cooling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a full line of high performance computing products, and those are designed to take and distribute water to the rack or to a cold plate or to a chip. Um, the vast majority of our customers are supercomputer customers today where they're putting a series of racks in very high density processing um, to do calculations and computations that uh, really wouldn't be able to be done in a, in a different you know, geometry 
uh, than what they have in the supercomputers today. But you're right, what we're also seeing is the emergence of GPU technology and other technologies that have a, a heat density that's much higher than what we've seen in the past. And there's gonna be a tipping point there where air cooling, just based upon its ability to move air through a, a unit and the aspect ratio of kind of moving that air and getting the heat out is gonna be more and more difficult. I think in general though, what we're seeing is the large data center providers and hyperscalers out there have just an enormous amount of servers they're deploying and they're not as um, computational, uh, you know, strapped uh, in, in what, they're, what they're doing in the presentation of their services. But uh, as that technology keeps on pushing the processor heat up, I think we are going to see more application. Uh, most recently, you're seeing uh, Google came out with their own design system uh, for AI application and deep learning. Um, those are the types of applications. But you're right. I've, I've been in the industry since the 1990s. And you know, every year we talk about water cooling. And it seems like the processor guys figure out a way to you know, take more power away from the chip. Uh, and still increase its performance, you know, the Moore's law philosophy. Yeah, there, there also uh, are now a group of uh, startups in the, uh, in the hardware space, which used to be a hard place to, to run a, like a venture-backed startup. Uh, but I think one of the things that artificial intelligence has done is boost the demand for really powerful specialized chips that because they're really focused on uh, you know, one use case and, and really, you know, cranking up the power uh, create some different cooling challenges. I mean, you know, Bitcoin is one example of how people using application specific hardware, but there seems to be uh, more of that coming into the, in, into the data center. But right now, what we generally hear is, you know, hyperscale uh, folks, maybe 10 to 15 uh, kilowatts per, per rack as a max. Uh, is that a, a range that makes sense to you? How do you, you know, you, in your work with HPC, what are the kind of uh, densities that you see and have to uh, have to solve? Yeah, yeah. Our, our CDU systems, we have a, a 1200 and what's called a CDU six um, that can produce uh, a substantial amount of cooling that gets distributed uh, to the rack itself. Um, the 1200, it, you know, has the ability to run multiple racks of equipment off of one CDU um, versus a one-to-one -one ratio. Um, but there definitely is a lot of activity, even in the supercomputer space, where we all thought maybe that was a dead technology. The things they're able to do today with, um, you know, work, working on the COVID problem is a good example. They're using supercomputer technology there to work on a potential um, immunization uh, solution for, for COVID. Um, there's just a lot of difficult problems that that density of computer is required really to be productive and, uh, and, and get to a solution in a reasonable period of time. So um, you mentioned uh, COVID-19, which uh, of course is sort of front and center in how most people are thinking about their businesses and trying to figure out you know how to. Wish we uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a uh, uh, it's a, a, 
a big uh, sort of strategic question for a lot of folks. The data center industry, I think, has uh, 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 has done a, a, a pretty uh, a strong job in, in terms of handling the, the additional capacity requirements that have, uh, you know, have that have cropped up from cloud providers and online services. As just about everything has shifted to uh, a digital online format. You know, it's education, healthcare, government, everybody working from home everywhere. Okay, absolutely, um, it's uh, it's amazing. Um, how much traffic, if you look at some of the numbers since January or February, when the, the, really the first cases started to emerge in North America, um, some applications are up 40, 50% in utilization. I think the Zoom application we're on today is 30 to 40% Microsoft Teams. It was interesting, the only application I saw that was down was ESPN site, because there's no sports right now. So someone's right. going out there and checking out, you know, sports scores. So, uh, but in general, uh, most of the applications out there are seeing uh, levels of traffic that, that they've never seen before. Um, so one of the questions that, uh, that we've been looking at as we kind of work our way through to the evolving state of whatever the new normal is, is what are the sort of implications of uh, COVID and how it is changing uh, the way folks do business, uh, you know, with everything from, you know, staffing, uh, the distributed workforce, which then raises questions about the real estate holdings. Um, you know, as, as you look at some of the data center and uh, the sort of digital transformation issues going forward, um, what are your thoughts uh, on in terms of uh, of what uh, what might be changing, what might stay the same. What, what's your sense of uh, of uh, what the new challenges will be as we sort yeah. of navigate the next steps? I, I think we're over that tipping point of it's okay to work from home. I think we figured out that we will survive. And in general, uh, most of my team has shown a greater degree of efficiency because they're not having to travel to work, all the interruptions. Um, we're using Microsoft Teams and the tools very effectively. Uh, before that, I maybe got onto a Teams meeting once a week. Now I'm on a Teams meeting, I think, four to five times a day uh, working with team members. Um, the other thing is there's a lot of companies out there that are making interesting announcements about um, their work from home policies and not bringing back workers to their campuses, some very large organizations. I think the downside of that really has to do with your ability to, if you're coming in as a new employee and you haven't been with an organization and you don't know the dynamics and the people, it's gonna be a little bit tough to kind of learn the lay of the land via, you know, not having that interpersonal time with some folks and uh, interaction. But in general, uh, I think we're gonna see more uh, pressure on commercial real estate, um, people coming back to that, and, and that just opens up opportunities. Um, when we talk about um, those places where edge computing or small data centers could be provided in close proximity to their customer base and reduce the latency and do some compute, um, I'm hearing that commercial real estate is being looked at very closely right now by a number of organizations. And in, in terms of potentially redeploying that real estate that had been 
general office space use. So that raises some interesting uh, questions because you know, one of the things about data center real estate is it is specialized. There's lots of equipment. When we think about maybe how it could be more distributed uh, and uh, sort of edge use uh, uh, cases uh, that might use some of the space that maybe corporations aren't using anymore, uh, what does that look like and how might that transition take place? And, and of course, because this is your wheelhouse, you know, uh, how, what sort of cooling challenges does that create? Well, obviously, you you have a pre-built space. It's not it's it's not a greenfield where you're making right. and designing your space for your application and cooling solution. So you have to you got to really retrofit or make things work into that space. Um, in terms of cooling, I think the densities um, are going to be lower than than what we would see in maybe the hyperscaler or the amount of compute. Obviously, will be much less. In that space, um, in terms of cooling, I think you're going to look at ways to bring in um, cooling through a fan coil wall or or a craw unit uh, into the space. Um, that could be facilitated through, um, like I said, an indirect cooling technology like we have. It could be a chiller, or it could be a water chiller or an air cooled chiller. But um, reconditioning the space, it's not. It's not as intuitive. I think I think there's going to have to be some thought if you get behind, behind or beyond a certain level of computing in that space. Most areas you could probably afford to do five to ten racks. If you're talking about you know fifty racks, that's just a different density and a different amount of cooling and um, and redeploying that space. There's some people out there right now that are I know are working that problem right now in looking at different commercial real estate opportunities and developing solutions. And there's a, there's a vast array of, you know, consultants that I'm sure are part of your community out there that are working, you know, those problems. So, so they might be looking at space that, you know, where a company used to have X amount of office space, but because they're only going to have at most maybe half their employees there, everybody's, you know, six feet apart and, uh, and such, and so then they might uh, like have, uh, you know, space that then they would uh, like sublease. Are those the kind of opportunities you're talking about? Or, yeah, yeah, I, I think you're going to see people vacate commercial real estate. I, I'm not saying it, it, it's going to be uh, overnight, but but I think um, maybe some goodness that comes out of this situation is people really start to understand how to effectively utilize these tools that we've had on our desktops, and we've hit critical mass that the availability to get to someone on that same tool is there versus, you know, I might get interested in using one of these apps, but there isn't anyone on the other side that has the app or is, is in the mode to really have to use the app. Now, you know, like I said, in our organization, we have a vast amount of people other than our manufacturing sites that are working from home very efficiently and very effectively. You know, yeah, you know. I, get, I, I suspect the travel budgets are going to get a, a hard look and be viewed very differently in uh, uh, the absence of this. And, I, and I've heard some folks, you know, like, I don't know about you, but myself, I used to go to a lot of conferences and you oh, know, yeah. the travel time going back and forth the day before, the day after. Uh, you know, I, I think some folks are uh, see that as an interesting sort of trade-off with, with what's happened. Well, I think, I think working from home, um, I am tending to work probably 20, 30 to 30% 30 
longer hours every day. Um, the, you know, there's the break for lunch or a few interruptions, but in general, I think after the first couple of weeks, you really figure out how to do it and be effective at it. Um, and people know you're at home. <laughs> you can't yeah. get I'm on an airplane or I'm traveling. They know right. you so they can they they can get a hold of you. Um, so we're tending to work much longer hours. Um, so and, um, we always like to one of our goals at Data Center Frontier is always to think about what comes next, what's out on the horizon for the data center industry. Uh, in terms of cooling, what do you find interesting about you know what things are going to look like going forward? Uh, what's intriguing to you on that point? Yeah, I think with um, with the size of the data centers getting to the point where I mean, hyperscale is is it's now you know super hyperscale. Um, that probably the most prevalent technology that's out there and deployed today would be a direct evaporative um, technology. But we're seeing a lot of hyperscalers moving over to an indirect evaporative technology. Um, we are seeing people still using DX, you know, DX liquid cooled chillers for trim cooling applications. Um, we're also seeing uh, the push to have higher temperatures within the data center. So I, I know if you go back 10 years, we were at uh, W1, which was 17 degrees C, which is about, I don't know, max 65 degrees C, I think it is. And now, we're seeing a lot of W2 and W3. So now we're pushing with W3, I think we're up to about 34 degrees C in the data centers. Um, co-location is lagging a little Which bit. Which translates to about what in Fahrenheit? Uh, in Fahrenheit, uh, 32, a, a, w2, a W2 is about 80 degrees. Yeah. And okay. We, I think, is 90, or no, no, 80. So, so, so it's fair to say degrees. above 80. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, so W2 is very common, which means the max temperature is 80 degrees Fahrenheit, and then a W3, like you said, at 90 degrees. Um, we have a lot of customer, most of the hyperscalers are pushing up to the W3 right now. Right. Um, because what that does is, you know, they're using less energy, they're using less natural resources. Um, and that, that's another emerging issue is, as we were building all these data centers, they require resources to make them work. And right. typically in this industry, the, the two resources we see are water and energy. Um, and water, where, where things maybe um, are easy in terms of cooling, there may be a, a really difficult situation and availability of water. Um, and you really have to project that over a long period of time. So if we, we went back five years, you remember we had the droughts and all the forest fires. So when the forest fires were happening and you were using direct evaporative systems, everyone's like, oh, we're pulling smoke into computer room. And smoke and pollution and that sort of thing do not work well with electronics. It just and, and electronics in um, let's say a humid environment, non-condensing, but a humid environment. Um, so people are really thinking about the business as something that 
they're going to own or operate over a long period of time and what are the considerations so your natural resources um, become one your availability to power and large amounts of power at reasonable costs your availability to i think fiber fiber connections is not as big a deal as it was maybe five years ago because there's quite a bit more fiber that's been laid down into the uh, uh, in, in either across the ocean or you know across the uh, the continental you know land masses um it always seems like the the resources that are the uh, are the most uh, important in terms of planning and site selection is uh, the ones that are going to be scarce or are going to take a long time to provision. Uh, and so I, I tell you what, I, I was reading a really interesting report. So Google puts out just the general public their uh, environmental report every year. Right. So if you look at where they were, I believe in 16, they were using two and a half billion gallons of water as Google both office and data center. 2019, they're at 4.1 billion gallons of water. So it's the one, it's the one thing that's it's really challenging as you grow the data system, you're using liquid and um, direct evaporative cooling, you're using water. So um, it's, it's definitely becoming a much more emergent issue with uh, data center you know, design and sustainability. Yeah, and it seems that a lot of uh, uh, local governments are, are much more tuned into the fact that uh, that much as they love the economic development potential of data centers, that there are, there are resource issues that that uh, come along with that territory. And you know, those were discussions that maybe you didn't see in the same way, you know, five or six years ago. Um, well, I mean, five or six years ago, you remember Lake Powell was at an all-time low and. <laughs> were you know alternating days on if they could water their lawns or not water their lawns you know so it, it's not that it's about the additive effect on top of what people are normally using people use a lot of water but now you put another re, you know very highly water intensive resource into a location and you, you you start to think about availability of that resource or long-term availability if i'm pulling down water tables you know uh, yeah, it, it's it's definitely something that we're talking to people and people are you know asking questions about that um, that that issue and that that problem, how to solve that. Yeah, well, listen, Kevin, I really appreciate you taking the the time to uh, spend this time with us on the Data Center Frontier Show and and share your insights and your your expertise with uh, with our readers. Uh, if people are interested in connecting with you or learning more about uh, Nortech, uh, uh, where can they go? Yeah, uh, www.nortechair.com um, uh, um, and, and um, on that there, there is information on our data center products. We'll be coming out with a new website here fairly shortly and with that um, you can, I think there's also some white papers available and there's a white paper even on Data Frontier uh, or data center frontier on um, kind of the state point solution. It, it, there's a lot that goes into it, so it's hard to explain in a short bit of time. But if people are interested, so, or, um, so, so the perfect topic for a white paper that people can sit with. Yeah. And, and, sit around, and if they have questions, definitely uh, contact us. Well, we'll certainly uh, in include some some links to all that in our show notes uh, and uh, our story accompanying uh, the broadcast on uh, data center frontier. Uh, so, Kevin, thank you for taking the time. Appreciate to speak it with us. 
Yep. And I'd like to, to thank our audience for, for tuning in. Uh, as always, we love talking about data centers. And, uh, you know, please uh, visit our website at datacenterfrontier.com and subscribe to the Data Center Frontier Show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your quality podcasts. Uh, <laughs> and until, uh, until next time, uh, this is Rich Miller signing off for the Data Center Frontier Show, where we tell the story of the data center industry one podcast at a time. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for listening to the Data Center Frontier Show. You can find the show notes for this episode at datacenterfrontier.com slash podcast, including links to the resources Rich has mentioned. Be sure to subscribe to the Data Center Frontier Show at Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or where you find your podcasts. If you enjoyed this show, please tell your friends or share about it on your social channels. You can always find us on the web at datacenterfrontier.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Until next time. <laughs>